the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's edition of The Plum Line, brought to you by Reasons for Hope, training and equipping a new generation to stand boldly on the Word of God. You can find information about them at r4h.com. That's the letter R, then F-O-R-H dot com. And you'll also find their newest book, Glad You Asked, answers to 12 tough questions about Christmas that you need answers for at that website, r4h.com. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. On the broadcast today, I'll speak with author Jim Osman. We're talking about spiritual warfare from a biblical worldview. Hope you can stick around for the broadcast and reach out to me anytime with your thoughts or comments or questions at this email, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Plum is P-L-U-M-B, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Open Door Financial was founded with the inspiration of using biblical wisdom to create financial plans and investment strategies that lead to financial peace and build the kingdom of God. We guide families and small business owners on how to save money, reduce taxes, get out of debt, build enough retirement income, and be more generous. We help you discover God's plan for your finances and fulfill your God-given dreams and purpose. Call Jason Batt at Open Door Financial at 619-794-7133. That's 619-794-7133 or visit opendoor-financial.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Centaurus Financial, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC, a registered broker-dealer and registered investment advisor. Open Door Financial and Centaurus Financial are not affiliated entities. Life can be tough, and sometimes we all need a helping hand. That's where Integrity Counseling Group comes in. At Integrity, we're not just counselors. We're your companions on the journey of healing. We believe in restoring connections with yourself, with your loved ones, and with your faith. With three welcoming locations in Mission Valley, Carlsbad, and San Marcos, plus convenient telehealth services across California, we're right by your side, San Diego. Visit us at integritycounselinggroup.com or call us anytime at 760-283-7000. 760-283-7000. On today's edition of The Plum Line, I'm your host, Jay Rudolph, and I am excited to be joined by Jim Osman. And Jim is the teaching pastor at Kootenai Community Church in rural North Idaho, has been there for lots and lots of years, and has also authored a number of books, one of which we're going to be discussing here. It's called Truth or Territory, as we discuss a biblical approach to spiritual warfare on the broadcast today. And uh, welcome, Jim. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Jay. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, looking forward to this, and I've had a fair amount of acquaintance with Justin Peters, who wrote the foreword for the book, and I think uh, kind of through him and, well, I guess Twitter as well, I, I came across you, and uh, so this is our first visit, but after getting through about half of this book, I'm hoping that we get to visit uh, a lot more frequently here, even before we start. I know that's going to be the case here, so we're going to talk about this spiritual warfare subject, and there's no doubt that there are going to be some thoughts brought up here that are probably going to be very eye-opening to many people, maybe completely 
completely different from the way they've thought about spiritual warfare, and so we'll preface this with that idea here. But I, I also want to share, too, as I do with a lot of these types of broadcasts, that you know, even if you don't necessarily agree with the discussion here, the important thing is that you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of topics we talk about on the plumb line where you can hold to a different view and you can still be a, a solid, born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And so I, I guess that might be a good place to start. As I said, I've done that with a number of other topics where I've started out that way. But if you would, Jim, maybe relate the essential things versus the non-essentials. We don't have to try to cover all the non-essentials here, but what are the essential things as far as the one tuning in that they must believe if they are going to be a, a believer in Jesus Christ? Yeah, well, you must believe that there is a God and that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh, into this world in order to die on a cross to pay the price for the sin of any and all who will believe. And you must believe that Scripture is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God, and you must believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and place your faith in Him and repent of your sins in order to have eternal life. Yeah, amen. It's really, you know, as simple as that. We humans try to make it so much more complex so many times by adding works and all sorts of things, which are definitely not required. And so that's a, you know, a brief in a nutshell explanation. And I want to encourage you tuning in. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe that language is all foreign to you. Reach out to me at this email, the plumb line radio at gmail. Dot com the plumb line radio at gmail.com remember plum is p l u m b and so that's the foundation that we build upon beyond that though it is really vitally important that we have a biblical world view on other topics and issues and that's why the plumb line exists and that's why we're going to talk about spiritual warfare from a biblical approach and so jim maybe just begin here in kind of what uh, led you how the lord pressed you into writing truth or territory well, when I started pastoring a church here in Kootenai in 1996, I started getting questions from people about the subjects of spiritual warfare that I deal in the book. People ask me about generational curses and bloodline curses and exorcisms and can Christians be demon-possessed? And what about praying heads of thorns? And what about rebuking the devil and, and speaking to Satan and reproving him and, and all of those various practices that are often associated with the deliverance ministry emphasis and spiritual warfare movements. And so uh, I, I would answer those questions. And then I thought, well, I'm going to write a series of articles in our church newsletter to kind of deal with that. And those series of articles sort of evolved into chapters of a book. And I put them all together as a fundraiser for our church in the early years to raise money to get into our new building. We're in that new building now. So that money now goes into a fund that supports missionaries, retired missionaries, and hopefully eventually someday my, my retirement, because then I'll be a retired missionary to my own area. So that's how I came to write the book, is uh, I saw a desperate need amongst a lot of people for understanding on these issues and applying a biblical worldview and really learning how to interpret some of these proof texts that are pressed into service for these practices, learning how to interpret them in a biblical way. So that's why I wrote the book, and that's how I got pressed into it. I, I was once involved in a lot of those spiritual warfare practices. I kind of read books by Mike Warnke and Rebecca Brown and uh, you know Bob Larson's stuff in early in Bible college. I thought that binding Satan and pleading the blood of Jesus and canceling generational curses was all biblical. And I soon came to find out that none of it was biblical and that the verses used to support those practices don't in fact teach that at all. 
Yeah, and we're going to spend, over the course of the next couple of broadcasts here, a lot of time digging deeply into that and pointing out that even though, you know, Scripture may be used, it is oftentimes used, you know, either incorrectly or out of context, and that's what you quickly discovered as you got deeper into this yourself. And so the first thing you point out is that Scripture is what we must rely upon and turn to, but it must be done so in a, you know, in context and with a proper understanding and interpretation right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, just because somebody quotes a verse that has a phrase in it does not mean that whatever doctrine they build off of that phrase is necessarily biblical. Every passage needs to be interpreted in its own context and, and understood in the way that the original author, as well as the original recipients, would have understood it. And when you get away from that principle and you start to just interpret Scripture and phrases however you want to interpret them, you begin to twist Scripture in order to fit your perverted practices. And that is what much of the spiritual warfare, I'd say that's probably what all of the spiritual warfare movement has really done with Scripture. Mm. Well, and you know, it sounds really good, really nice to say, yeah, we're 100% reliant on the Word of God here. But in reality, as you're pointing out here, that's certainly not always the case. But ultimately, that's what you're saying, is we really don't need other sources. And sure, there are other books written about spiritual warfare, as you've pointed out. Most of them are not terribly good as far as a biblical perspective on it. But there are some that are well-written and from a biblical perspective. But in reality, Mm -hmm. what we really need is to get ourselves grounded better in God's Word. Yeah, because the Scriptures ultimately tell us everything that we need to know for life and godliness, and and that's one of the things that I spend a little bit of time on in the early chapters of the book, is that we have a source of intelligence on how we ought to fight this war, and it is Scripture. And the deliverance ministry and the spiritual warfare movement, they have no problem relying upon extra-biblical revelation or intuition or even the testimony of demons and ex-Satanists for information on how to fight the spiritual war, the spiritual battle. So it's not uncommon for somebody who is involved in deliverance ministry to to say that the Spirit spoke to them and told them, or the Spirit revealed this in a dream to them, or they interviewed a demon during an exorcism and got this piece of information, and and we need to know this information in order to fight effectively the spiritual battle and to, to remove demons and to take back territory. And yet that is relying upon something other than God's written word, and what God has revealed, the inspired, inerrant, authoritative scripture to use those practices and to fight the battle. And, and I say that we don't need anything other than what is in scripture. And if you just stick with what is revealed in scripture, then the entire deliverance ministry of spiritual warfare movement would dissolve overnight. Mm, interesting. Well, I'd like to, you know, take that a little bit farther and ask more about that, but I'll, I'll do that at a later time here because I want to back up a little bit, I guess we could say, and address the question of what is spiritual warfare. That's probably a, where we should start here is define it. And one of the ways you do that is through Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to go ahead and read it right out of your book here. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, the passage is quoted there. And so explain how that helps us to understand what the Bible says about spiritual warfare. Yeah, well, Paul in that passage is talking about waging war, and he describes that. We walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh, the weapons of our warfare, not of the flesh. I describe spiritual warfare as a battle for truth, not a battle over territory. And the battle for truth is a battle to liberate men from their mental fortresses 
he says in verse 4, the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And those fortresses are described in verse 5. We're destroying speculations, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. It is a truth war. When we are involved in preaching the word and evangelism and apologetics and teaching biblical and sound doctrine, we are liberating men from their fortresses by proclaiming to them the truth. So true spiritual warfare is not canceling generational curses and pleading the blood of Jesus and rebuking demons in order to take back people or cities or nations or counties or buildings. True biblical spiritual warfare is the proclamation of truth to liberate men and women from their mental speculations, their atheism, their agnosticism, their belief in evolution, false religions, idolatry. These are the mental fortresses, the excuses that men and women have in their minds for resisting the knowledge of God. And so true spiritual warfare is not based upon carnal weapons of binding Satan and spiritual mapping and praying hedges of thorns. True spiritual warfare is a battle for truth, not a battle over territory. Mm, hearing you share that reminds me of a broadcast that I did recently with a lady by the name of Miki Addison, and I'm going to direct people to check that out because our whole subject was Satan's strategy is to deny or get people to deny the truth of the Word of God. And so that's a great broadcast, too, that you can find at places where you go for podcasts. Any of the past editions of The Plumb Line, including this one as well, are available at places like Spotify. Just put in The Plumb Line with Jay Rudolph. So I encourage you to check out that one with Miki. Addison. And Jim, hopefully here before the break, let's see if we can get through one other aspect of this book, because I really want to do it justice as best we can and encourage people to pick up a copy of it, Truth or Territory. Again, my guest is Jim Osmond. But uh, let's see if we can at least touch on the enemies that we face here. When we talk about this spiritual warfare battle, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, as the scriptures tell us. But our enemies, there's three of them, and we may not realize that we might think our only enemy is Satan, but Uh, You bring up that there are three. Yeah, we fight a three-front war. We are battling the world, the flesh, and the devil. And each of those has its own appeal, its own tactics, its own strategies, but they work in concert with one another. So we're battling a a battle against the world or the world system that is a way of thinking and a way of understanding truth that is allied against God. It is hostile to God. Of course, we battle the, the enemy, Satan, and his demons, but even think about how Satan is described in Scripture as a liar and the father of lies and a deceiver, etc. Again, that is a truth-oriented perspective, not a territory-oriented perspective. He's not described as the one who takes counties, the one who occupies buildings, etc. He's described as the one who deceives and lies. And then, of course, we fight the flesh, which is the enemy within. It is the enemy within the gates that seeks to subvert us, and it deceives us and tricks us, and our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It it tells us lies, like we can indulge the flesh and we can pursue our lusts, and there will be no accountability for that. So all three of those enemies we have to fight, and the main enemy that the Christian deals with is the flesh, and that is the emphasis in the New Testament epistles. It's not upon Satan. Most of the references to Satan and his demons in the New Testament epistles in the book of Revelation are factual descriptions of him concerning his work, his nature, and what he has done, and the victory that Christ has gained over him. But the real warning throughout all of the New Testament epistles is regarding the flesh. These are the deeds of the flesh, and, and the lust of the flesh, and Paul's struggle with the flesh. It, it is that unredeemed part of us that stays with us until we die. That is the enemy within. That is the emphasis and the focus of the New Testament. 
Mm, yeah, we're going to get into that more in just a bit here. And that enemy, the world, too, when you think about that, as you mentioned, it's not meaning uh, the people of this world, but rather that worldly philosophy, those things that raise up against the knowledge of God, as we talked about in Second Corinthians 10, that's the world. So and we'll maybe have time to get into that a little bit more deeply as well, but I at least wanted to touch on those enemies. We'll talk about this facet more, and I want to discuss the fact, too, when we come back from the break, that there are both sides of the coin here when it comes to Satan. And there's too heavy of a focus in some camps, and there's way too little focus in others. And so, like with most things, you want a balanced approach, you want a biblical approach, and that's our discussion here on the Plumb Line today. A biblical approach to spiritual warfare with my guest, Jim Osman. So stick around here on the Plumb Line. Let me share that email address again where you can share your thoughts, comments, questions about the broadcast. It is theplumblineradio at gmail.com, theplumblineradio at gmail.com. We'll be right back. Support for The Plum Line is provided by these fine business sponsors. EPS Wealth Management of Phoenix, who serves clients in several states. Call them for a no-cost, no-obligation conversation about your financial concerns. 623-537-3657. Abundant Life Landscape, your irrigation repair specialist. Call them at 619-277-2410. And by Charles McLucas, Jr., founder and CEO of Charitable Trust Administrators, Inc. Learn about the benefits of a charitable remainder trust at ctai-ca.com. Support for The Plumb Line is also provided by Simple Turn. Their online health resources teach your kids how health really works and how to avoid 90% of chronic disease. Get your family's free health course at mysimpleturn.com. Thanks for joining me for The Plumb Line. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. My guest on the broadcast is Jim Osman author of Truth or Territory, A Biblical Approach to Spiritual Warfare, and we're discussing spiritual warfare from a biblical worldview today on the Plumb Line. And Jim, as we went to the break, I brought up that a lot of times when we talk about the various camps, if you want to call it that, that are out there in regards to spiritual warfare, we have those who are just way too heavily focused on Satan and give him way too much power and and credit. And then we have the others who just completely neglect in fact, I was reading in your book here a Barna survey that said uh, four out of ten self-described Christians strongly agree that Satan is not a living being but is a symbol of evil. I'm sure that research is you know, a little bit dated, and there have probably been more recent studies, but I know that they haven't gotten any better as far as the no, results. Yeah, and so we've got both ends of the spectrum, whereas a balanced approach is what's really needed here. Yeah, that's right. Both of those perspectives, I think, are dangerous. One of them because it ignores Satan's activity in this world. And if he ignores activity in this world, then you're not going to understand what it is that he is doing and how he's doing it. And Paul says in one of his epistles, we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes and his devices, and we should not be ignorant of them. We should know who the devil is and how he works and what he does to seek to undo us and to oppose God's work. And of course, if you think that Satan is just a metaphor or a a symbol of evil in this world, then you're not going to have any understanding at all about how he is opposing God's work and, and thus how we need to be on guard against his devices, his schemes, and his deceptions. On the other side of that spectrum is, of course, those who overemphasize Satan's role in this world and his work in this world and see, you've heard the phrase, a demon behind every bush or a demon under every rock. And, and that was kind of the mentality that I had 
coming out of that spiritual warfare movement back in the early 1990s and getting out of that sort of approach to spiritual warfare, I thought that everything could be blamed on the devil. If, if I had a lustful thought in my heart, it was the demon of lust. If I was angry, it was the demon of anger. If I lost my temper, it was, you know, another demon that was attached to me. And I thought I had demons in my bloodline and demons in my ancestry and demons trying to deceive me and, and demons trying to thwart God's plan for my life. And every sin that I experienced or was tempted to could be blamed on a demon. And every time I fell, it could be blamed on a demon. So that's the other side of that spectrum is that everything is Satan. You know, you don't get the parking spot that you need. You're late for your dentist appointment. That must be the devil at work. That's kind of the perspective. That's overemphasizing Satan's activity and his doings. Mm. And you've discovered that when it comes to sanctification, the side that does that, that overemphasizes Satan, is really kind of got sanctification a wrong understanding, I guess we could say. Yeah, they misunderstand the nature of sanctification. If you misunderstand the nature of sanctification, then, of course, you're not going to understand what God has provided for your growth and holiness and how you are to grow in holiness. So take the example that I just gave of the well-meaning, well-intentioned, you would get assumed that, of a believer who thinks that every sin they commit and every temptation they experience is a demon. Well, if that's how you diagnose the problem, then, of course, your solution to that problem is going to involve some sort of a confrontation with the demonic. So the person who thinks that the lust of their flesh is actually a demonic deception or a demon who is causing them to sin in that way is going to say then, well, if it's a demon that's causing me to lust, then I need to deal with the demon of lust. So I should probably plead the blood of Jesus and, and bind that demon of lust and bind Satan who is behind that demon of lust and then rebuke that demon of lust. And I should probably even consider having the demon of lust exercised from me. Whereas Scripture doesn't say that lust is the result of demonic activity or demonic deception. Scripture says that lust is one of the deeds of the flesh. So if the reason that I lust is not Satan, but rather myself, my flesh, then Scripture has provision and a prescription for dealing with the lust of the flesh. We are to make no provision for the flesh or any of its lust. We are to mortify the flesh, put it to death, the deeds of darkness, and we are to yield our members as instruments of righteousness and not as instruments of sin. So instead of having a demon exercised from me, I am to apply Romans chapter 6, and I am instead to yield my members, my mind, my affections, I am to yield them to righteousness so that I become a slave of righteousness and not a slave of sin. So you can see that if you misdiagnose the problem behind our sin as Satan rather than the lust of my flesh and my unredeemed flesh that still is attached to us, even as believers, then, of course, we're going to get the whole answer to that sanctification issue wrong. I'm not called to go to battle with Satan over my anger issue or my lust issue or my pride issue or my selfishness issue or my narcissism or my greed or my gossip or my slander or my lack of submission to authority. These are all the deeds of the flesh. Satan is not to blame for those. I am. And so if I misdiagnose the problem, I'm going to misdiagnose the cure. And of course, the cure is to make no provision for the flesh and instead to yield my members as instruments of righteousness and to walk in holiness and to pursue holiness and to practice the deeds of righteousness. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit, is to walk in the Spirit and to put to death the deeds of the flesh. 
Yeah, thank you so much for that. It's so vital because yeah, I do hear people that blame Satan for everything, and we got to take the blame. But yeah, so thank you for that. Well, we've got a couple of minutes left here yet, and so I'm going to try to uh, see if we can tackle this. But we're going to deal in depth with part two of your book, Exposing Unbiblical Practices, in the second show here of this two-part series. But since we're kind of on this uh, exorcism, casting out demons subject, the verses in the scriptures that talk about about demons being casted out, and we see Jesus, of course, accomplishing that and sending out the disciples as well. And we hear about some, you know, casting out demons. And so people ask, well, it happened in the scriptures. What's the deal? Why can't we do it today? It did happen in the scriptures, and that's because Jesus exercised demons and demonstrated his authority over the devil as a, a validation of his own messianic claims. So you see that in Scripture that he cast out demons. Of course, the question in Matthew 12 with the unforgivable sin is, by whose power did he cast them out? And when Jesus exercised demons in the book of Matthew, you saw that the people started to come to the conclusion, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of David, whom we've been waiting for. And the Pharisees said, oh, we can't have people come to that conclusion. We have to credit Beelzebub with the power behind this man's ability to exercise demons. And so it was Jesus' ability to exercise that kind of authority over the demonic world was in fact an evidence of his messianic claims. And then, just as he did give to the apostles the ability to do miracles, he also gave them the ability to perform exorcisms. And exorcism is listed in Scripture as a sign. It is listed along with healings and making the lame to walk and the blind to see and raising the dead as one of the signs of the kingdom. So we know that Jesus performed those miracles, and he gave his apostles the ability to perform those miracles as a demonstration of the messianic claims that Jesus made and of the apostles' authority to speak on behalf of Christ. So there is no instruction in the New Testament to believers in any of the epistles about how to do exorcisms, no commands to do exorcisms, and no instructions on when to do exorcisms or who should be the subject of exorcisms. None of that is mentioned in the epistles. Instead, you see it in this historical fact within the Gospels and in Acts related to Jesus and his apostles. Thank you for that. And that's all the time we're going to have here, but I look forward to digging into a number of these other practices of spiritual warfare that many of us are familiar with. Maybe some of us are practicing them, and we're going to find out that maybe some of the things that we've been taught are really not aligned with what the Scriptures say. So make sure you join me for the next edition of The Plumb Line when I continue this discussion with my guest... Jim Osman. Jim, again, is the author of Truth or Territory, A Biblical Approach to Spiritual Warfare, and he's the teaching pastor at Kootenai Community Church in Idaho, and I'm so thankful for him coming on to discuss spiritual warfare from a biblical worldview. You can reach me anytime. Share your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about the broadcast, whatever it may be. I'll be glad to take those, and I will respond to you at this email, the Plumline Radio at gmail.com. Plum again is P-L-U-M-B. And by the way, the Plum Line is a listener-supported radio ministry, so I'd love to have you share a gift of support as well. The email address to reach me, the Plum Line Radio at gmail.com. We'll see you next time on the Plum Line. The Plum Line has been sponsored by Reasons for Hope. Check them out at r4h.com. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.